So before I begin, just a couple of pictures for the week. And, and the first picture is this. The youth went out on a little um, excursion to Castle Park. And uh, so they went um, riding the rides and stuff like that at Castle Park. And um, no one got hurt, which is a good thing because I didn't hear about that yet. And they just seemed to have fun. So good job, Trevon and Patricia, leading them out in the troops. And, and I'm glad they had fun. And then yesterday, last night, we went to the California Baptist homecoming basketball game. It's probably the biggest game that Cal Baptist throws all year long, and um, place was packed, and, and they do something where they honor a veteran. And then before I know it, all of a sudden they say, hey, Sarah Weber, come down. And, and so our own Sarah Weber came down in front of everybody, honoring her and recognizing her service that she had in the military, and, and there she is. She's giving some thanks, and you go, way to go, Sarah! Where is she at? If you see her, she's back hiding in the, in the hole back there. And she didn't know I was going to do that. So, good job, Sarah. Welcome. We're glad to have you. Um, and then, then, so this is the story of the church and the story of people in the church and then the story of the little gopher. If you can see the gopher, the gopher is right there. See his little beady eye and his nose? Well, I gassed him. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, that's not your tree that he's eating, so you can aw you want. I just want to show you a little bit of what happens in, in the day of a life of of me yesterday, all those things I saw, and I'm just grateful for the opportunity that we have today to gather. I've been thinking a lot about the church, been thinking a lot about you, and I'm excited. I was looking forward to this sermon since I prepared it on Thursday. Turn to Acts chapter 12, and if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn, if you want to, to Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3. We're going to unpack this, we're going to, we're going to pull this apart, and as I was just thinking about the church in here, um, the passage should, I hope and I pray, really speak to all of us in here. All right, let's begin by this. It, it is called the happiest place on earth. How many of you have been to Disneyland? All right, almost everybody, right? And um, it's called the happiest place on earth. And at the happiest place on earth, we used to take, Amy specifically took the kids a lot um, when they were little. Matthew would dress up in his little Buzz Lightyear costume, and he looked really cute. Oh, little princess thing. And they'd, they'd walk on their sit-and-stand stroller throughout the Disneyland park. But at Disneyland, you can do all kinds of things. You can go on a magical journey through various periods and various times. You can zoom through galaxies far, far away, right? On a roller coaster, or you can chug on a train through various prehistoric lands. You can, you can walk down Main Street and you can talk to a president if you want. And um, you can even sail to the different island, right? You can go across them on Tom Sawyer Island and you can walk through the trees, uh, Huck Finn's house or whatever that is. Um, everyone knows the place. In 1955, what was it? Um, 1955, on July 17th, a guy had a dream. Well, in the middle of the orchards and the orange groves in, in Anaheim, he built his dream called Disneyland. You know, it might be the happiest place on earth, but it's not the most important place on earth. No, it's, it, it's, it's not the most influential place on earth, is it? It's also not the most invincible place on earth. You want to know where the, where the, where the most important, most influential, most um, this place right there. Hey, you guys recognize yourself? Yeah, the church. The church is the most powerful place on earth. It, it, it's a far cry from that. And it's a gathering of saints, a gathering of people who know one another and don't know one another. The most powerful place. See, in the church, even though you can go to distant galaxies on, in Disneyland, you can only ride it for a moment or two and you're gone. But the church 
has authority over the spiritual realm and the heavenly places. The church is the place into which Jesus Christ boasts, brags about you. He chose you. And you're the manifold wisdom of God. He says to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, they're mine. He's so proud of you. He looks upon you with such pride. He goes, that's mine. You're mine. You're mine. You're, the manifold wisdom of God chose you. Chose you to build into you, to put his spirit into you, to guide you, to direct you for a noble, worthy purpose. And so I want to look at two things this morning about the church. Two things I think you need to know about the church. So you might have come here and even said, well, what is church? Is church just simply the gathering and the singing of songs? It's so much more than that. Is, is, it, is it just coming and, and asking God to help and to heal and, and, to, and to bind my wounds? Oh, the church is much more than that. The church, the church is where men and women across educational barriers, across racial barriers, age barriers, social economic barriers, we come one in front of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We come together. Look what this outline says. It is in the church that the manifold wisdom of God is on display for all of the powers and authorities in the heavenly places. <clears throat> Think about that, and we're going to unpack this passage. But, but the manifold wisdom, we'll see what that means, on display for all the powers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so, and so as you just think of the songs you sang just a moment ago. And, and God's up there. He's bragging. Was he bragging about your, your engagement in the songs? Was he bragging about, was, was he proud of the way you've been engaged, the way you've been um, participating in this, the church? Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church. It's a pretty influential church early, it, 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 and, and it has, in, if you've been to a Wednesday night Bible study, you understand this, in Ephesus, there's a great theater, it has 15,000 seats, and so, and so it's a place where people can gather, and so it's kind of a rich town, because rich people go to the theater, poor people, they don't, they don't have enough time, they don't have enough resources to kind of break away and leisurely walk away and go to the theater very often. It has, it has one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana there. And, and so tourists and people from Gawk and to look and to worship this pagan idol of sexual fertility. And so in the midst of that culture, the Apostle Paul came and for years he preached and pretty soon, and pretty soon they're saying this guy's preaching against Diana and there was a riot and everybody came in. They gathered in a the big theater and the whole entire city and the community was in uproar over the church, because the church, the church had done something amazing. They had repented from their idol worship, and they burned all of their books. They burned all of their, their stuff, and it amounted to thousands and thousands of dollars of, of junk being burned. And the idol worshiper says, if the church continues to grow, I'm out of business. And so they caused a riot. And so Paul had to leave the church, and he's going to write a prayer to this church. This church that's surrounded by pagan influence, surrounded by idolatry, surrounded by entertainment, surrounded by wealth. This church, he writes this prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in, the holy, in his holy people and his incomparably great power to us who believe. 
Why, why is God, why is, thank you, why is God um, asking for power? Why is, God pray, why is Paul praying for power for this church? Because the church felt powerless. You don't pray for something that they already have. You pray for something to recognize that they have. And so maybe they didn't recognize how powerful they were compared to Diana, compared to the entertainment world, compared to the wealth of the community. The church needed to realize that church had power and authority. And so he's praying that the eyes of your heart may be opened in order that you may know the glory and the riches that you have and the incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, church, apply this. Think about this. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, but also in the age to come. So he's praying, church. Paul's praying that the church in Ephesus would have that power, and it is my prayer that you would know that you have the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, Watch this. Let's move to chapter 3. Chapter 3, Paul builds upon that request. He builds upon that, and he says this. Although I am the less of the least of the Lord's people, Paul's reflecting, he's reflecting the fact that he didn't come following Jesus as Jesus walked three and a half years later. Instead, he persecuted the church. He beat the church. He probably saw that some people were killed. This grace, the grace of Christ, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentile riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. The mystery, the mystery is that Gentiles can be included in our part of the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You, as 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 exiles as people who, who weren't part of the promise to Abraham and now grafted in, belong to the promises of, of being united with God. His intent, his intent was that now through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to authorities. Where? In the heavenly realm. Church gathered. Did you see the picture of you earlier? Church, the manifold wisdom of God. Manifold means it is the multi, multicolored, multifaceted, most varied aspect of God's wisdom. God in his wisdom chose you. And he chose you. And he chose you. And he chose you in this multifaceted, multicolored, multivaried, called the manifestation of his will, of the wisdom of God. Isn't that great, church? Let's hear an amen there, at least. All right. Okay. And, and it is through you, through you, that his, what? It would be made known to the heavenly realms, right? You and your worship and your gathering, you are a testimony of God's grace to the heavenly realms and authorities. Isn't that, that and according to the purpose of, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, and in him and through faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. In other words, because you have accepted Jesus Christ, because you are now part of the manifold wisdom of God, because you have said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, you are part of the testimony of God to the heavenly realms. You are not an average group of people meeting in a building on a Sunday morning. The spiritual world knows that, but do we know that? 
When you gathered here this morning, you didn't just come to gather to say, okay, I'm just going to say a little simple prayer. I'm going to sing a couple of songs, one song I might or might not know. I'm just going to kind of give half-hearted, half-hearted meaning to this. The spiritual world knows what we're doing here this morning. There are some people this morning that gave in to the temptations of the world, temptations of the flesh, and maybe the spiritual temptations not to come. They said, no, I'm not going to make it this morning because God wanted them here so that he could testify to the heavenly realms and the powers that be about you, church. And now, as a result, you can approach God with freedom. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that profound, church, when you start to think about it? Who you are in God's eyes. You are not a mistake. You are not a mixture of random atoms that, that zoink together. Zoink! Reminds me of Scooby-Dooby-Doo, Mark. Zoink! Right? Um, um, so you're not a, you know, just a, out of the goo came something like you. That's not it. God called you forth and you heard his voice and you came in this morning. God is reminding you of the power and authority that you have in him. And then I was thinking through the second half of this passage because the first point was this, the church that the manifold wisdom of God is on display for the powers and authorities. And I think that that's really good for us, but listen to this. Watch this. This is for the least of these. The second part is this. It is in the praying church where the worldly powers and authority is defeated by the insignificant, the outcasts, and the overlooked. Church, it is in your prayers. It is in us praying together that the powers, the worldly powers and authority is defeated. You're going to see this as, as this comes together. If you're in Acts, turn to chapter 12. Watch this as we unpack and make little statement upon little statement. But first of all, I want to encourage you to be a praying church. I want to knees every morning and pray and pray and say, God, make the manifold wisdom testify to me about the to the heavenly realms, about, about what I'm going to do this morning, what I'm going to do today. I trust that you're going to do something significant. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Look at this. this is, you're going to see this, and in, in, I'm going to read the whole entire chapter, and so I'm going to go quick. You're going to see that there's tension, starts here, and moves into this little person over here, and then the big person, and then the little person. And we're going to see that God uses the little person in significance. Look what it says. About that time. That King Herod, not Herod, later on he'll just use the name Herod. He wants to make a point. Luke is writing this, writing this book, and, and he's writing this historical kind of journal of how the church King Herod. He, he puts the title on him on purpose. King Herod arrested some that belonged to the church. King Herod intended to persecute them. And it's about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. And he intended to persecute them. He had James. The brother of John, put to death by the sword. King Herod, all authority. He has all authority. He can do this. And, and remember there were three. There was James and John and Peter. Those guys would go with Jesus everywhere. And one day, Jesus was walking up this mountain. He goes, you guys, the rest of you disciples, you stay down there. James, John, Peter, come up here. And Jesus takes him up top of the mountain. Jesus is transfigured. And Peter, being a loudmouth, hey, let's build a tent up here, right? But, but it was James, and it was John. Ever since they, they were on the boat and fishing, James and John, James and John were going everywhere with Jesus. James must have been a leader in the church. Herod finds out who the, who the ringleaders are of this sect, the sect that they call the way. 
the sect that isn't really called the church yet, group of followers that, that Yahshua is the Messiah. And, and he pulls out James, kind of plucks him out from amongst the herd. He plucks him out, and then we don't know, does he behead him? Does he just stab him in the side? We don't know. James, off with his head, dead, gone. They probably bury him, and then, then Herod says, wow, that made the Jews happy. That made, that made the people happy, and John, who will live for a long time, write a book, but John weeps for his brother. And see, Herod saw that this met with approval amongst the Jews. Herod was doing political. He, worldly influence was saying, I've got authority. I've got political might. Look, 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 this is uniting my group, and, and I can have peace in Jerusalem. I make these people happy. I'm going to make them happy. There's the first ringleader gone. I'm going to get the second, and I'm going to get the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. I'm just going to start eliminating all these people. So he's playing politics. He saw that it met with approval among the Jews. And he proceeded to seize. And this happened during the festival of leavened bread, the Passover. Imagine Peter. He's going to sit in the, he's going to sit in the jail cell. It's going to be Passover. It's going to be quiet. I wonder what he's thinking. Does he remember back to the previous, that one special Passover where the night before Jesus took the bread and he broke the bread? Is he looking back and he's remembering? Watch what Peter is doing. After arresting him, they put him in prison. They handed them over to the guards by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial. Not only did, did they put him in four guards, so, so the guards, what they'd be, every three hours, they would shake eight and two chained to Peter. And these guys would just stand there. Here's Peter in the middle. He's, he's chained up. And what's fascinating is Peter's response, and we'll see that in a second, but, but Herod had heard that Peter has a habit of breaking out of jail. Right? And so, so Herod, Herod said, this guy, this guy's a sneaky little slimy guy. I don't know. And so just to make with, with a nice window and fresh air, no, they put him three decks into jail. So they want to make sure that Peter doesn't get out. I got to wait for that Jewish festival. Can't you see Herod going, okay, okay, you go do your Jewish festival thing. And on the end of it, we'll bring this guy out for trial. We're going to make a public spectacle of this guy. See, here's one of the handouts. Worldly power, worldly power is exerted. Worldly power, when it is threatened, it gets violent. That's exactly what he was doing. The Jewish leaders didn't like the sect. It was growing in influence and authority. And so what do they do? They want to become violent. Herod, they, Herod, Herod, can you help us? We'll, we'll, they start to negotiate. We'll start to do stuff for you, be kind for you. You get rid of the sect. And so Herod says, great, whop off the head of the first guy. That word, I'm going to arrest the second guy. Because worldly power is being threatened by the church. What a great testimony. Would it be cool if we as a church could make a threat against worldly power? You know, wouldn't that be awesome where all of a sudden the worldly power is going, hey, hey, attention to them. Unfortunately, today, it seems like the church is kind of neutered in its power in some aspects. You know, watch this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church. What was the church's response when, when power came in, worldly power came in to influence the church, to squash the church? The church prayed. And the church gathered. They gathered at Mary's house and they were praying and they were praying and they were beseeching God. See, this is what happens. Worldly power is exerted. Spiritual power is exerted. How is spiritual 
through the praying church. That's how we exert our spiritual power. Let's look at some quotes about spiritual power. Martin Luther, who knows one or two things about, about church, he says, prayer is a strong wall and a fortress of the church. It is a godly Christian weapon. You might feel powerless, but you've got an amazing weapon there. The weapon of prayer. You don't have a, you don't have a battery-powered lightsaber. You know, this isn't Disneyland. Your, your, your lightsaber is eventually going to go out, but, but your prayer power, it will only increase. Charles Spurgeon said, church, it must pray. If he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be the slothfulness in prayer. How are you guys doing in your prayer life? Are you slothful? Are you lazy? Or or, or you put it off until another day, another moment, another time? How are you doing praying for the church? Are you on your knees? And are you knocking? Are you begging? Are you hoping and you pleading for God to move in a powerful way through you and through the church. One person says, every scene of heaven in the Bible shows us a vision together and singing together and praising together. Church of Jesus Christ. The church vision in heaven is the church praying to God. How long, O Lord? Or worthy, worthy, worthy. Or whatever it is doing, the church is gathered in prayer together. Some people pray to manipulate God. God, some people pray to, pray to, to well, maybe I'm going to think positive. If I'm, if I'm praying, I'm thinking positive. The church is the manifold wisdom of God. You, you are the church. Not the windows, not the walls, not the building, not the location. You are the church. The church is the manifold wisdom of God. Praying to him. Herod was to bring Peter to trial. What is Peter doing He's sawing logs, right? right? He's sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard. Look at the detail in that, in that verse right there. Peter is sleeping, sleeping between two guards. He has guards, he's going. <laughs> Peter's there snoring, right? And two chains and, and sentries. So the four guys that are guarding him right there. What does this remind us of? It reminds us one that Peter has incredible faith. Peter, Peter, in this midst of the storm, in the midst of the sea, he can trust God. And why can he trust God in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the rocks? Because he saw his Savior, and there was a big storm. The wind was blowing hard against the boat. The waves were crashing in a boat. And what was Jesus doing on that boat? (laughs) Jesus knew God was in control. And if Jesus, his Savior, knows that God's in control in the midst of the storm, Peter can sleep in the midst of this. And he knows that whatever happens, God is in control of the storm and and the world and everything in it, church. Peter was not stressed. He was not anxious. He was sleeping in the jail between two soldiers while two soldiers were watching him at the door. I think that that is a beautiful verse because it shows his faith. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared. Uh Uh-oh. Well, I can continue. Um, And suddenly, the TV's turned off. Oh, no. That's okay. I'm good to go. Oh, look at that. Okay. And suddenly, the angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. See? It came back. Hallelujah. Um, 
He struck Peter, the angel. The angel. Can you imagine the angel whispering to Peter? Psst, Peter, you gotta wake up. Psst, Peter, you gotta wake up. The bright light. See, the bright light should have woken him up, right? But it didn't. And so he pops him in the ribs. Peter, get up! Just like a parent does to their kids. Get up! Time for school! And this angel saying, get up. And then the chains fell off Peter's rib. And the angel said to him, hey, put on your clothes. I don't want to see that. Okay? And so the angel says, put on your clothes and your sandals. And so Peter gets dressed and he puts on his sandals. And he says, wrap the cloak around you and follow me. And so Peter did. And Peter followed him out of prison. Listen, he had no idea what the angel was doing. He thought it, he didn't know it was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. And so Peter thinks that he's still dreaming. And, and the angel is leading him out of the prison. And they passed the first and the second guard. And they came to the iron gates to the city. And so, so first guards, they don't see him. Second guards, they don't see him. The iron gates, they just whoosh, open up by themselves. And the length of the street suddenly the angel left him. Daughter, here I am. And Peter came to himself and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying where the church was at. And he knocked on the outer entrance And a servant girl, it's important, I highlighted this word. The servant girl named Rhonda came to answer the door. She's a servant girl. She's she's a girl with no, no, I'm not talking about you, you're okay. Um, Servant girl, and she comes to the door. Look at this, this woman, she has three strikes against her. One, she's a servant. She has no power in the house. She is just a, a measly little servant. She's there to serve and to be quiet. That's it. Two, strike two, she is a she. In that culture, if you is a she, you don't have any rights. The servant girl has no rights. Strike one. The servant girl is a girl. She's female. Strike two. And what's the third strike? She's a girl. She's not a woman. She's the least of these. God is about ready to use the least of the least of the least of these to connect powerfully with the church. I put that up there because because many of you might not think, well, I, I am nobody of significance. Praise the Lord. That's exactly what he's looking for. I, I, I have no cultural authority. Praise the Lord. I, I, I'm a minority. Praise the Lord. I'm a woman. Praise the Lord. I, I, I'm a young person. Praise the Lord. God can use you. God is not waiting so that you're an educated white male to be used in this culture for this community. God is looking to use everyone here who's a minority in this community. A senior, female, young. I'm looking at the church, and that's like a 99.9% of y'all, right? Educated? No. Uneducated? Don't have a master's, don't have a doctorate, you're, you're good to go. A minority, great. Right, right? God is prepared to use you in a powerful and profound way. Are you ready to be used by him, though? Are you ready to be used by him this week in a way in which the King of kings, Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth can brag to the heavenly realms and the heavenly authorities?
Peter knocked at the door, and Rhonda, it's not Rhonda, it's Rhoda. Rhoda sounds like Yoda. I want Rhonda. Help me, Rhonda, help, help me, Rhonda. Okay, it's Rhoda. Rhoda's a, no one's named Rhoda, we can't say Rhoda, it's Rhonda. Rhonda, look. It's, it's Rhonda is here, and Rhonda will be what it is in my mind, no matter what you guys tell me, okay? Okay, this is the Paulism. I'm sorry if you're a guest for the church. Paulisms are, are famous in every sermon. I make at least one or two mistakes, which I'm reminded of often. Um, and, and so, <laughs> amen. And so it wasn't Rhonda, it's Rhoda. Rhoda sounds like the girl from the old TV show, right? Uh, Rhoda sounds too much like Yoda, so we can't have Yoda. Okay, and so when she, whatever her name is, Betty or Jane or whatever, when she recognized Peter's voice, see, she's just an insignificant little girl. We don't care about what her name is anyways, right? That's what the culture would say at that time. When she recognized Peter's voice, Rhoda recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door, and she... Listen to, the, listen to the authority that she has into the church. Listen to the authority that she has to communicate to the church that is praying. She says, Peter, you're out of your mind. Little girl, servant girl with no authority. You can't speak to us, they told her. But she kept insisting. Then they said, no, no, it must be his angel. It's because what would a small person, what would a young person, what could they say to the leaders and the authorities in the church? Yes, exactly. The truth. You have the, you have the privilege, the honor, and the glory, church, to speak the truth to those in authority and those in leadership. But Peter kept on knocking, and when he opened up the door, they were, they, they were astonished. Rhoda was right. Peter met, shh, 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 and he described how the Lord had brought them out of prison. Tell James, this is the other James, not the one that's dead, Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. And then he left for another place. And in the morning, there was no small commotion. Could you imagine that? What's going on? And where'd he go? The soldiers as to what became of Peter. And after Herod had a thorough search made, he did not find him. And he cross-examined the guards, and he ordered that the 16 guys were executed. See, worldly power is extinguished. I wasn't originally not going to keep the rest of this verse, this passage in, but this is important because the very next word says this. It says, then, this is a story. Little Rhoda has none. King Herod has everything. And then, look, there's no king in front of his name. Then Herod. No king Herod. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. And he had been quarreling with some of the people in Tyre inside him. And now they joined together and they sought an audience with him. And after securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked him for peace because they depended upon the king's country for their food supply. In other words, the king was holding back food supply because of the conflict in these communities. And they, they made this deal, they made this little negotiation, and then they they decided, yeah, King Herod, he's a god. A day, Herod was wearing his robes, his royal robes, and he sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. And power, worldly power, is gone. And immediately, Herod did 
not give praise to God. And the angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. Compare that to what happens to the church. And the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. Worldly power ultimately ends in death. Godly power, godly, God's word spreads and it flourishes because the church, pray, church prayed and it spoke to the authorities and the spiritual realms. And because of that, God took care of the enemies of the church on his own terms at his own time. Did you catch that church? The church trusted God and God took care of the church enemies at his moment and his timing. That, that's where our faith comes in, is that, is that God testifying, telling, bragging about those people in the church. The people in the church are going through tough times. They seek after God, and they do God's will. And then God says, my will is done. I will take care of the enemies of the church. See, God's word extends. God's word extends. The ultimate, the ultimate is the manifold wisdom of God is revealed through God's people. You got that last word revealed? So this week, this week, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and be what the manifold, be, I want you to go and be what you are. You are the manifold wisdom of God. Two ways that you're going to go do it. Trevon on this side, David on this side. You are the manifold wisdom of God this week. May, may God, may God be praised. May he tell the heavenly authorities about what you're going to do this week and brag them. One, faithfully commit to being a weekly part of God's manifold wisdom. Let's not make coming to church on Sunday an option. Let's make it in your heart, in your mind, going, this is where the manifold wisdom of God, where I get together with people that I know and I don't know. Make it a part of your being that you come to church regularly, that you gather with people and you smile and, and you're engaged. And then, and then make it also a part that you can come sometime for a community group. Come at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Come join us on our sporadic Sunday evening thing whenever we're going to do that again. Come on Tuesday nights. They've got a great Bible study on Tuesday night. Have a great the youth. The youth are going to move days pretty soon. But come to, if you're a youth, you're in high school, thereabouts, come. They've got some great things planned. But be part of the manifold wisdom of God on a regular basis. There's great wisdom in that. So faithfully commit to doing it. And two, faithfully pray for God's word to be revealed in and through his community of disciples. That's you in the interactions and the conversations you have with others this week. That's you. So whether you're on this side or that side or you're the group in the middle, this week I want you to pray. I don't want you to be slothful in your prayers. I don't want you just to say, okay, I'm going to spend two minutes, I'm going to pray for the church, and that's all. I want you to be in your prayer closet. Where's Gladys? To be in your prayer closet. And to pray that God's power and authority is manifested and made known through the people in Colton and in his church. And then not just the people in Colton and his church. His church, rather, it is in the Inland Empire, in California, in the nation, and in the world. May his church speak his wisdom to the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that you, as you speak to the heavenly realms 
and you see us here at this moment, that you are pleased with what we've done, that you are our hearts and your hearts, amen. So Lord, give us strength to do the impossible, which is your will, to fill us with your spirit, to walk in a manner worthy of you, to, to be lights into a dark world, to be guides to those seeking a map, Lord, to be your voice, your voice in the church and your voice to those who are lost. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to pray to you to work as we just seek to do what you have called us to do. In your precious name, Jesus, we ask. Amen.